This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Draft Lab knows that quality and consistency are your brewery's top priorities. DraftLab provides easy-to-use sensory analysis tools designed to bring your tasting data into action. To start your free two-week trial today, visit DraftLab.com. That's D-R-A-U-G-H-T Lab.com. Every brewery has quality issues. The brewing process is just too complicated for everything to be perfect all the time. I don't think there's any better indicator that a brewery is pointed in the direction of success than when you see troubleshooting like this presented transparently at a major industry conference. We see it time and time again, but only from breweries that really have their act together. Today, we'll step through troubleshooting acetaldehyde at Mad Tree Brewing Company. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good, how are you? That's Becca. She's the chemist at Mad Tree Brewing. We'll also hear from Trent, Mad Tree's quality manager. Let's start with the bad news. How much beer did you have to dump? Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this was quite a doozy for us. Um, it was about um, 500 barrels of beer over the course of about two months. Ouch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what was wrong with the beer? What prevented it from being released? Um, so we moved from a 15-barrel brew house to a 100-barrel brew house, uh, so quite the transition for us. Um, and as we were transitioning these beers over, um, we weren't having any problems except for um, this beer, Lift, which is a Kolsch-style ale. Um, and so we were getting indications of acetaldehyde um, from our sensory panel, which led to stops and then um, the disposal of that beer. Okay, so you had high acid out of hide, and you said you, you only saw it in one brand, right? Yeah, so this is um, as we were about a year and a half ago, as we were transitioning our brands over from our old facility to our new facility. Um, and so we weren't having any issues with our American ale yeast. And then this is a unique yeast. It's a um, German ale yeast. Um, so this was the only one that we had these levels of acetaldehyde. So we figured this was, hey, what's going on with our yeast? Okay, before we get into your troubleshooting process, let's talk about where acetaldehyde comes from. How is it formed? Uh, so it's formed in multiple steps in the brewing process. Um, however, um, it's most the majority of it comes from uh, anaerobic fermentation. So it's a direct precursor to ethanol. All right. What was the first step that you took? 
one of the kind of first things that we were looking at was um, the ASPC fishbone diagrams. That was pretty useful for us in quality meetings, um, looking at, okay, what are some process control things we can look at? What are some use related? Is there anything that we can attempt to control to deal with this issue with acetaldehyde? And um, it was detected in multiple batches. Um, so we knew it wasn't just a one-off, you know, issue. There was something going on uh, consistently with our brewing process. Um, so we had attempted to look at increasing wort oxygenation. Um, however, we were still seeing acetaldehyde in final product. And the, one of the other issues we were having was that it didn't seem to be quite consistent of either the level that it was showing up in the beer or if it was showing up at all. Why? So why did you start with wort aeration? That, that came directly off of that fishbone, right? Yeah, that was a absolutely just directly a process control that was easy to adjust um, and could maybe, you know, maybe we needed to dial that in um, to deal with the problem. However, as these things normally are, you know, it wasn't as easy as just changing one thing. So, so next you tried some changes to yeast pitching. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? This yeast has been... We've never really had any issues with this beer before, um, and we do know this yeast is has been hard for us in the past to do yeast counts on. Um, just getting a sample of it and then an accurate count for it, we've known we've had issues with that. And um, so we never at our old facility would do yeast counts. We would kind of just, we would do about a half barrel of yeast for a 60 barrel batch of beer. Um, and that was just for this one strain, right? Or you were doing yeast counts for, this, for the other yeah. other beers? Yes, counts counts for everything. I know it, we counts for everything, but just the fixed ratio for this specific yeast. Yeah. Okay, and so when you started up the hundred barrel brew house, um, you were you were doing that still or not? Yeah. So ironically, we started having these issues when we were attempting to do yeast counts for this beer. <laughs> okay. All right. So when you moved to the Hunter Bell Brew House, that's when you said, "Hey, let's go ahead and count this like we do the others." Yeah, and we were starting off using mechanical agitation um, to try and, you know, get a better yeast count for this specific strain. Simply just a stir plate, you mean? Uh, we have a, a vortex mixer. Yeah, the. Um, are they called vort vortexers? Yeah, a vortexer. Okay. And so uh, so the next thing you tried was, hey, let's go back to that old way of doing it where we just have this, what you're referring to as sort of a fixed ratio of, of yeast that's pitched for this brand, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, however, we were still seeing issues uh, with acetaldehyde. So that didn't work? That did not work. Okay. So then, and then after that, you even tried, uh, I believe, a Croizen process, right? How did that work out? Yeah, so that was um, when we were pulling samples for forced diacetyl. Um, we were going ahead and also checking for acetaldehyde. Um, and if there was a, a fair amount of acetaldehyde, we would try and add actively fermenting wort from another batch of this beer, um, just as an attempt to clean up any residual acetaldehyde that was left from the fermentation process. On a scale of 1 to 10, how successful was that? Um, it actually, so for 
if it was really bad, I would say, you know, it wouldn't get rid of all of it, but it definitely helped lower um, acetaldehyde levels in, um, in the finished product. And that's something that at our old facility, when we were really crammed for tank space, um, trying to crank out as much beer as possible, um, if we had beers where we had a, a small issue with diacetyl, that's kind of something we've used in the past to help us um, clean up uh, any chemicals we don't want in the finished beer. Sure. And so that that's obviously, you know, helps a lot, but it's a, that's a Band-Aid and not addressing the uh, the root. Uh, issue there. So um, yes. it, it sounds like uh, the next uh, next thing that happened is sort of your your thought process shifted to, hey, maybe this isn't actually a fermentation issue, but an oxidation problem. We didn't mention it earlier when we were talking about how acetaldehyde is formed, but ethanol can actually be oxidized back to acetaldehyde if oxygen makes its way into the finished beer, right? Yeah, if, after you remove the yeast, if you have oxygen in there, it can um, you can have that oxidation um, and reform acetaldehyde. With acetaldehyde being closely related to yeast, um, now our first kind of steps were looking at what was going on with the yeast, but um, we kind of I, Trent can talk about this too. Um, later discovered this issue with the pressure relief valve. So I don't know if Trent wants to talk to, about that a little bit. Yeah, Trent's being bashful over there. Trent, why don't you tell us, <laughs> tell us what, you, what you found out there? Okay. Um, so it was actually a happenstance. I, I, was, I overheard uh, one of our brewers talking about how he was running a CIP cycle on uh, one of our tanks. And um, I, I forget if he was running caustic or acid, but he, he had noticed that it was coming out of the PRV and down the side of the tank. Um, and it didn't really hit me at that point, but just randomly later when I was, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong with the lift, um, it clicked that that PRV was like leaking. And so I went back and looked at, uh, all our data and realized that like the bulk of the issues we had had was we're out of that tank. Um, so we immediately like replaced it or reseeded it. It may have just been like a seating issue or something. And I forget the, the actual issue with the PRV, but it was addressed, and we did have some good luck after that. Um, but didn't didn't have all good luck after that. So, so that did reduce the acid aldehyde levels, but yeah, well, so we just had a few good batches, um, and that was the most frustrating thing with this issue. Was like we would think that we fixed it, but because the issue is ultimately our yeast counts, sometimes we would get good pitches and, or have good pitch rates. And those were the good batches. And if we had done something, the batch prior, and we thought we had fixed it when in fact, it was just kind of a false, uh, false impression of the, the fixing the problem. Coming up. And the phosphoric acid treatment is beautifully normal uh, compared to uh, the original Kolsch yeast and even compared to the Vortex and the, the hydrochloric acid treatment. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Barna Mechanical, a full-service design-build firm specializing in turnkey process and utility systems for the brewing industry. We partner with some of the best craft brewers in the U.S. to ensure the great beer they brew 
is what their customers get in every glass, bottle, can, or keg. You know beer. We know breweries. Additional support provided by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The District Michigan Quarterly Technical Meeting is October 18th at Coonan Brewing in Clinton Township. District St. Louis meets at Charleville Brewery October 18th. Don't miss the Cannes Seeming Webinar October 19th. The District Philly Technical Weekend is October 19th and 20th. District Southeast Fall Meeting and Technical Session is also happening the 19th and 20th at Tank Brewing in Miami. The Master Brewers two-week brewing and malting science course begins in Madison October 21st. District Rocky Mountain meets at Miller Coors in Golden, Colorado October 25th. There's plenty of other meetings in November as well, so be sure to check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. The poster you guys presented at the Brewing Summit uh, has a few histograms that nicely summarize the remainder of your troubleshooting. Tell us about the rest of that problem-solving process in a way that the poster can't. How did that? How did the aha moment go down? Uh, the aha moment was just, uh, doing, you know, it was another yeast count on lift and being super paranoid about it by this point. And I think I had drawn up, um, you know, a sample from the, the dilution, uh, slurry and it was a ridiculously high count that didn't even make any sense. So I just did a duplicate count and then this time it was super low and then at that point, I he was just inspecting the the flask of of the dilution sample, and I started seeing these little flakes um, kind of settle at the bottom. And when I went to pull those out directly with the pipette and put it under the microscope, it was just big clumps of yeast. And then that's when the light bulb went off. All right. So what happened next? Well, there from there on, we were. I was looking at uh, a lot of. Uh, stuff online on how to declump yeast or get them to, to separate. And I, th- I actually think I'd come across some poster. I don't know if it was ASBC or MBAA, but they had done some validation with an automated cell counter um, that used some uh, different techniques. Um, so then I borrowed some of their numbers to start with. And um, we, yeah, we tried the three different methods and, and compared them using um, the histogram. So we had a lot of data from, you know, counting our American ale yeast, which we had never had an issue with. And we had it down to, well, if you're familiar with the, the hemocytometer, you like it's a five by five grid and you take, um, you count five of the squares in the grid. And so we had all that data going back for the American ale strain. And so we collected all that and made a histogram out of it and it was normally distributed. And so then I did the same thing for the coal sheets that we had done so far. And it was, it, 
half of it was normally distributed, but then of course there were these bars on that end that were super low and super high. So it was not normally distributed overall. And so we used those two as kind of like a negative and positive controller, you know, a target and what we don't want and tried the different methods, um, the mechanical hydrochloric acid and phosphoric acid. And the phosphoric acid treatment is beautifully normal uh, compared to uh, the original coal schist and even compared to the vortex and the, the hydrochloric acid treatment. All right. Why don't you expand on those on those methods a little bit more? Tell us a little bit more about the results for them. Right. So yeah, we had our we had our controls. We had our American Ale control, which is what we were shooting for, and our uh, normal, not doing anything, counting the coal yeast like the American Ale yeast uh, control. And for mechanical, yeah, we just had the vortexer that um, we did thirty to sixty seconds of mechanical agitation. Um, and went from there and treated it like a normal count after that. Uh, the two acid treatments did not get vortex. They were only um, treated with their respective acid treatments. Um, the hydrochloric acid was a, looks like a 10 millimolar uh, hydrochloric acid solution. And the uh, phosphoric acid was a 2% phosphoric acid solution. And I think we did like five replicates of each, each, um, uh, technique and then i think we also counted all 25 squares in the grid we didn't just do like a like a normal cell count we were trying to get as much data as possible and um put all that data together and we also so for each 25 square grid um we used the mean from that data and subtracted uh the mean from all the individual numbers and so that kind of normalized it across multiple um the, the replicates. So each time we filled up the hemocytometer, we'd have a different mean and we'd subtract the mean from those raw results. And then you could compare them um, across different hemocytometer uh, uh, samples or replicates. And yeah, so that's, that's what made the, the final histograms that you see on the poster um, center around zero and also kind of normalizes. So you can see the distribution that actually takes, takes place. And yeah, so from those results, um, we made histograms and it was more of a visual inspection from there. There wasn't any like hardcore statistical test or anything. It was more just like eyeballing it like, oh, well, I think we figured out the problem here. Our SOP for our lift yeast count now is uh, 80 mils of water, 20 mils of 10% phosphoric acid solution. And then our, our yeast slurry and uh, methylene blue. And it's, it's been great ever since. We know from Greg Casey's fishbone diagram that increasing pitch rates or decreasing yeast growth causes higher acid aldehyde levels in beer. So you were simply over pitching, right? Sometimes and sometimes massively under pitching. I mean, we were just some, I'm sure that sometimes we screwed up both ways. Um, depending on how the um, sample was drawn. If you got like one of those flakes from the bottom of the flask, you're going to have a higher than representative count and, you know, vice versa. If you were pulling from a nearer to the top of the, the dilution, you would probably get a lower than representative count of the yeast. Makes sense. Do you want to talk about the role serial repitching may have played? 
Yeah, so I think this also was uh, led to frustration for trying to figure out what the cause of this problem was. So, yeah, serial repitching with stressed yeast can be a problem, and any issues you were having with that prior generation can carry over to the next um, beer you pitch it in. And so we were going cone to cone for all of these beers um, since we were just starting up at this facility and there were no other beers that used this yeast. Um, so we were, maybe we had a batch that was good and we had um, no acetaldehyde issues. Um, but then if we pitch that beer incorrectly to the next batch, then when we reuse that again, um, we were still having acetaldehyde issues. It was really awesome to talk to people at the brewing summit, um, you know, who either had this issue or, um, you know, just being open and communicating quality issues because, you know, you're not the only one out there dealing with those. So I think the more open we are about it, the further we all grow. Does your brewery have a great troubleshooting story to share on the Master Brewers Podcast? Use the contact form at masterbrewerspodcast.com to let us know. Like Becca said, the more open we are, the further we all grow. If you're not familiar with the Fishbone Diagrams Mad Tree used to troubleshoot their acid aldehyde problem, do yourself a favor and go to mbaa.com store. Type Fishbone into the search bar, then get a copy of Brewing Chemistry and Technology, which includes 120 cause and effect fishbones by Greg Casey. You are a godsend when there's a problem, um, and they're a great starting point if you're trying to just learn the overall uh, high-level relationships and what contributes. and And there's a good there's good uh, citations on there too, so you can find papers from there. Um, I, I think they're super valuable, especially when you're trying to troubleshoot something.